it's Megan. And Nicole. Welcome to It's Cool Us Too. Where we chat different parts about being a woman in your 30s and realize honestly, we all go through the same shit, just from different angles. Now she's nervous. <laughs> Kayla, don't get bashful now. She was totally fine. She literally, I said, oh, I'm going to... What, what do you want to talk about? Like, what should we make the questions? And you were like, don't tell me. I want to improvise. I was well, like, okay. You know when you know what's coming and then your brain is con- like cooking on it? Yeah. Of answers and then you, no. Yeah, no, that's fair. I said I raw dog life. <laughs> I love that. I raw dog life. So That's this episode's title now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in last week's episode, we talked about how I was here helping a friend through a double mastectomy um and today she's on the pod i'm that friend <laughs> kayla is that friend um kayla say hello to all of our adoring fans hello adoring fans i'm one of your adoring fans do you listen to this is so meta <laughs> you try hard enough this could one day be you adoring fan <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you listen to every episode i don't try. lie don't lie i you guys i'm I, just- I mean, behind the scenes, man. I saw some of those episodes before they premiered on the Spotify, right? So I was I was an early oh, adopter. Yeah, you were an early adopter. That is true. So I was getting the the episode I'd already heard were being served to me again, and I just wasn't sure when that stopped. Did exactly. So there's a couple I haven't heard now, but there's a couple I've heard twice. So maybe it works. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna maybe put Nance above, like ahead of you in terms of fandom level oh but yeah. your your enthusiasm speaks volumes we're talking about Nicole's mom, is, uh, above me in terms of everything I'm this is my idol she can <laughs> she can you have to meet at some point like I know I oh, I'm 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 annoyed because I'm coming in um July 31st to August 7th but it's not long enough to go and I'm, I have to, to baby yeah to take her to Ottawa but I need to come in again um because like all of my friends in Canada are about to have a baby but none of them will have had said babies when I'm in so I have to come again and maybe that time I can I can swing in Ottawa Montreal yeah please do I will I love her (laughs) feeling is very mutual (laughs) I'm just speaking for her I also didn't tell her that you're coming on the podcast so I'm and I don't think I'm going to I think I'm just gonna like let this be a surprise no she was like I've I've never needed a human more in my life without knowing it than I needed Nancy in these times. Like it was it, my life yeah. would have been exponentially worse without her. So for context, because I think there's maybe a little bit missing here. So my mom in 2019 was diagnosed with breast cancer as well. And it turned out to be the same cancer that Kayla was diagnosed with. So when Kayla was diagnosed, we created a little group chat with Megan and myself, Kayla and my mom. And Megan and I were just full passengers in this group chat. Yeah, no commentary from us, really. Um, but yeah, you guys have this beautiful friendship now. It's so cute. Yeah. And like, I mean, further context being that like a year before my mom had died. So I had like a very real... <laughs> series of unfortunate like, I, no, 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 no. I had a very real like maternal gap in my life. <laughs> that filled quite nicely. <laughs> no one was like an open position. No one else was. <laughs> so Nancy filled it. 
very nicely when I really needed that position to be filled. Um, so it was, it was very beautiful. It made my sister so happy. Um, oh, really? Good. It really, really, really made my sister happy. Um, and it was very useful because like, you know, it's luckily not, no one in my life really has dealt with, with breast cancer as they yeah. shouldn't ever have to do. Um, so it was really nice having someone that I um, could could hear about it from and I wanted to hear about it from. Like I didn't want... Oh, yeah, you wanted to know everything. Yeah, tell me all of it. Yeah. So all I, the granular details. I feel like... So we wanted to have Kayla on the podcast for a long time. Yeah. Um, but obviously you've been going through the journey that is chemo and, you know, prioritizing your health. Um and so for anyone who doesn't know Kayla, who's listening, hopefully there's, hopefully there's, hopefully there's some, a ton. Hopefully there's We've some... referenced you once or twice. So the true believers, like, know who you are. The true legend. <laughs> um, for anyone who is not a, a close friend of ours, Kayla and I met, oh my God, in our master's. So, oh God, I don't want to calculate how long ago it was. It was like over 10 years ago. And both moved to London within sort of a year of each other. And she's still living in London with her now beautiful wife and baby. Um, and I, you know, we've been sort of best friends ever since. Um, but I just wanted to give that context uh, as to like who she is yeah. and and why you're on the podcast. And I guess today we're going to talk about obviously a, a very intense conversation about cancer, yeah. but the great thing about Kayla is um, you never take anything too seriously. So I feel like the, there will be a little bit of levity um, to the actual the actual episode itself or, um, you know, Kayla, make sure you make it fun, you know? Got it. Yeah. No, no yeah, pressure. Really make sure you get it up for <laughs> Don't fuck it. Also, before we get in, I was promised before we hit record that I would hear how you met and I've oh, not been given that yet. Oh, in, Nicole. So I, we had like, okay, master's degrees in English specifically, I think are wild because it's like the weirdest collection of people who are like pushed into a room together. It's a very small collection of people. It's a small, but like the type of person who decides to do a master's in just like books is very self-learning. Very specific. Very specific. And the room was master's students, like incoming master's students who hadn't met each other and the PhD students who all knew each other and were just like there to greet the incoming cohort and kind of like the whole point of a master's is to do the PhD usually. And so the school wants you to stay and do your PhD there. So that's what they were Mm -hmm. there to do, to like welcome us. So I'm standing in the room looking at all of the people being like, oh, who looks like cool? And I see Megan. I... This is exa- like word for word. This is what happened. I walked up to her and I go, hey, this is how I make friends. Hey, you look cool. We should be friends. And she goes, um, <laughs> walks away from me. I don't think it was exactly like that. Literally exactly like that. No, I think I was just a bit overwhelmed by your sheer. The audacity. No, not the audacity, but just the, the confidence. Excitement. Yeah, the confidence. And also it was I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't weird. It, it was like a charm, weird, and, it but was, it was it was weird in the most like adorable way possible. Um, <laughs> but then I kind of decided to be friends with other people, and then that didn't work out as well. No, 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 she didn't. No, no, no. What happened was, I think I scared her so much that she overcorrected and became friends with incredibly kind, incredibly sweet people 
who just like didn't gel. They were very boring. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, We're not going to name names. And honestly, there was no wrong people to be friends with in the program. Everyone was was like truly kind humans. But after like a week, she came crawling back to Kayla and was like, hey, do you want to come over? And I was like, "Mm -hmm. interesting. (laughs) Seems like we are best friends now. (laughs) And the first time, um, uh, so then we became friends. And the first time she came over to the house, I was like, oh, I, I just cooked dinner. Do you want some? This I thought would break our friendship. And I was like, oh, I just cooked dinner. Do you want some? And she was like, yeah, sure. What is it? And I said, pasta with ketchup, because that's how I cook. Kayla and- literally offered me a bowl of pasta that she put ketchup on. Delicious. And like was no like, sauce, no nothing. That was, was the, the sauce. sauce. <laughs> <laughs> ketchup, is, ketchup is a sauce. Yes, but it's not a pasta sauce. But it is a sauce. And if you put it on pasta, it's a pasta sauce. It's a condiment. It's not a sauce. And I'm a ketchup stan. It's yeah, both. Yeah, Nicole loves ketchup. Get you a ketchup that can do both. It's <laughs> Honestly, there's no way that anyone is going to. And people are going to listen to this and be grossed out. You know what? That's fine. I stand by my choices. Would you do that now? Would I offer it to someone so free willy, like letting <laughs> so blase, like as if they wouldn't be disgusted? I might have a bit more caveats in front of it, but yes, I do still eat ketchup with pasta. No, you do? I 100% do. Sarah lets you do that? Sarah doesn't really know. She will now. Sarah's, <laughs> no, Kayla's secret eats. Kayla's secret nice. eats ketchup and pasta. But yeah, I still do. It's a good meal in a pinch. Oh, yeah, that, that's the story of our love story. I think it took her a full week to realize I was the right choice. To be as sure of me as I was of her. Yeah. <laughs> Are you guys uh, holding hands again? No. She said no. Too clammy. It is really hot in this So, room. yes, we are in an apartment building, or an apartment which is, there's no air conditioning, and it is, like, violently hot, like, oppressively warm. Meanwhile, I'm in air conditioning and I have got like this, my slippers and really Thanks. not good for the planet. <laughs> Feeling great about you. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like we're on like the surface of the sun. Oh God. I'm looking at my window right now and there's so much smoke too from all the fires in Canada. It's- yeah. Where are the fires taking place? Uh, the ones that are coming here are in Quebec. Yeah. But anyways, moving on to a yes. an equally to cancer. <laughs> so, Kale, I think it would be good to start with kind of like when you found out about your diagnosis um, and like, I guess, paint a picture of kind of like where you, not where you were when it happened, but like, you know, the, the lead up, I guess. Yeah. Circumstances. To you having cancer. Sure. Um, I think, I think it's very interesting because like, it's obviously very personal, like this happened to me, but I think every time I tell this story specifically to women, they're all like, oh yeah, like I, I can understand exactly the circumstances that led to this, the diagnosis being made the way it was, because I think women in general are used to being like gaslit by the medical system. Mm -hmm. So, um, in 2017, I found out that I had the BRCA gene, um, which is a gene change that is over-indexed in like certain populations. So in the Jewish population, um, 
African-Americans and then some other populations have, uh, and then other people can have it, but like seven out of 10 Jews has a BRCA gene. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, which means that you are more predisposed to certain cancers and those cancers are ovarian and breast cancer. How did you find out that you had the BRCA gene? My mom had breast cancer. Her mom had ovarian cancer. And after you have um, two different women, like directly related in your like matrilineal line, uh, they'll give you a test for it for free on the NHS and in Canada. I don't know about America. Um, So I had the test done. I have it. My sister has it. And my brother has it. The chances of a person passing it down is 50-50. So we just got really unlucky in our family that all three of us have it. Um, For men... I mean, like everything for men, it's fine. <laughs> like if you, you know, he has like a 1% increased chance of some sort of prostate cancer and like a 2% increased chance of a breast cancer. Oh, but interesting. For a man, it's fine. Um, like everything with men, they're fine. Don't worry about the men. <laughs> the men will be fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my sister and I both have um, BRCA. So I've known I've had this, uh, this gene for a long time. And uh, as part of the high-risk screening program for people with BRCA in the UK, I get yearly MRIs. In America, where my sister lives, she gets them every uh, biennial. She gets two a year. Um, so I had one of them in 2019, and then COVID happened. With COVID, they stopped doing the screenings. Then immediately after COVID, um, I was pregnant. I got pregnant in October, November of 2021. And they would not give me an MRI when I was pregnant, which is silly because they can. They just wouldn't. Um, and I gave birth and I called the the team and I said, listen, I'm breastfeeding, but I'd love to get this MRI. Like my mom, my mom had died when my baby was two weeks old. I was incredibly anxious. I was like, it's been two years since I've had this MRI. Just can we do one thing for my mental health right just now? Give me this one give thing. Give me this MRI. And they were like, no, your breast changes so much when you're breastfeeding. We don't want to give you an MRI and potentially see things on an MRI that we'd have to explore further that aren't even cancer. So they don't want to like burden themselves. So they don't want to put money behind it because if they had to do further investigations, that would cost them money. They don't. They can give you an ultrasound. They don't have to give you an MRI to even check. They wouldn't do anything. So I was going privately throughout this whole time to get private ultrasounds. So in... um, my mom died in August. So my baby was born July 18th, 2021. My mom died August 6th, 2021. And I was in Canada pretty much until January. So in January, I came back and got an ultrasound here. Everything looked fine. They were like, you know, we can't see, you know, we can't see anything too popular, but everything looks fine. My sister, December 20, December 21st of 2021, Diagnosed with breast cancer from her. I didn't know this. Yeah. So she got uh, her every two year, or sorry, twice a year MRIs, December. Okay. Sorry to go back. My, uh, Sarah, the baby and I, Sarah's my wife. Uh, my daughter's Lila and I were flying back to Canada for Christmas, the first Christmas without my mom. And as the day we land, December 18th, we land. My sister is on a call. She gets off the call and I was like, what was that? And she goes, Oh, nothing. Like, don't worry about it. Whatever. 
the next day she's like, um, you know, I've been talking to a couple doctors. Turns out I have cancer. But because she had such in, um, incredible care in the U.S., obviously there's a ton of problem with the U.S. healthcare system. Yeah. I'm not bringing it up, but she got very lucky and she uh, was diagnosed at stage zero. So all she needed was a mastectomy. So in March, February, March, she had a double mastectomy. All's good. She had, I call it baby cancer for babies. Um, But the doctor said it's a big girl surgery for adults. Oh my God. So, I mean, okay, sorry, just to interject, I want you to continue this story, but it's so funny. The amount of shit that your family has been thrown in the last. Like I'm actually, like, I was tearing up. I was like, this is ridiculous. And like it, it is overwhelming. And anyone listening, like we, it is overwhelming, but you guys have handled it in such a hilarious, like it, in such an amazing way in the sense that like, at least you found some fun. Oh yeah. In all like her baby cancer called- for babies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Continue. So yeah, so after that happened, I came back to the UK and that's when I got the private scan because I was like, no, this is, this is crazy. Like my sister was 29 when she was diagnosed, which is very young, even for a bracket carrier. They say the age at like, is like 35. Mm-hmm. Um, so 29 is young. Um, and so I came back and they were like, no, fuck off. Sucks to suck. We will not give you an MRI. Um, I wanted to feed, breastfeed my baby for a year. So in July, I spoke to a doctor in uh, Tunisia where my wife's from and we just happened to be. And he said, there's this drug you can take that will dry up your milk supply. And then instead of having to wait three months for an MRI, you can wait uh, four to six weeks. Easy, done. Mm. Great. Give me that. I get it um, prescribed and I call my team here again and I say, I've been prescribed this. Should I start taking it so I can get an MRI sooner? My sister has just been diagnosed. I'd love to get this MRI. It's now been almost three years. Nope, don't take it. We will not give this MRI to you until you've stopped breastfeeding for three months. Fine. Okay. Seems silly, but fine. I then, this is now in June. My sister got married in September. And so I was like, okay, I need to get checked again. Cause I get, I go every six months for the ultrasounds privately. And, um, then I'll stop breastfeeding at a year. So her wedding was in September. We went to the wedding. I get back from the wedding in October because it was a, we made a trip of it. And I, October 28th, go to get this um, ultrasound. And I've gone to the same place to get my ultrasound since 2017. So they knew me. They know my history. They were like, okay, routine ultrasound, hop up. And as they're doing it, I go, oh, wait that area looks weird to me. Can you go back there? And I've had breast ultrasounds my whole life since I was 13. So I know more than most what to look what is normal, what isn't normal. You know, it's not like, you know, I I just happen to be an expert at my own breasts. And (laughs) a breast. Which I do think is a title of a book at some point. Be the expert of your own breast. Yes, you should. Um, And the woman was like, you're right. That does look weird. She biopsies it and goes, you know what? It's right in the area where you had a previous fibroid adenoma, which is a, like a, kind of like a cyst, but not really, but an an uncancerous, like nothing to worry about lump removed. So it could be scar tissue. 
I would say the chances of this being anything cancerous are around 30%. I leave that meeting and message everyone I know I have cancer. Like I was so, I was sure, I knew, I knew. And I have really bad medical anxiety. So my whole, everyone who got that message, which is literally my entire WhatsApp list um, was like, no, I'm sure you're fine. And I was like, no, I, I have cancer. Including me. Including me. Including me. I was like, no, 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 no. You'll be completely fine. I knew I didn't. I knew, I knew from that moment I knew, but, um, November 5th, the results were back and I went into the, the, the room to get the results. And I made Sarah come with me, which is, this wasn't the first biopsy I ever had, but this was the first time I ever made someone come with me to get the results because I knew something was wrong. And I do a thing, um, because I have really bad medical anxiety where, which my sister calls dark puppet theater of the mind, where someone will, like a doctor will say something. No, it's something. like so accurate. It's like, so do- accurate. A doctor will say something to me and I will only hear the worst possible version of what was said. Okay. So like fast forward to, um, I don't know, last week we went into multiple appointments just to have um, her breast checked and you know, the doctor, the plastic surgeon is like, this is looking amazing. I have zero concerns. Everything looks great because I think your team has also learned how to speak to you in that, like, there's no nuance. There's no gray area. It's like, this looks amazing. No concerns. Impeccable. She leaves and she's like, man, I think it's, it's fucked up. I don't think it's looking good. And I'm like, were you in the same room as me? Like I, she like, you do need someone. No, I do. Because my anxiety will shut things out. It'll shut off. It's like, and I've learned, you know, the best way to deal with that is to have someone else. Um, So my dark puppet theater of the mind doesn't wander astray um, and people get accurate results. So we sit in the room and I, I go in first, Sarah's downstairs because of COVID they're letting people in quite like sparsely. I'm waiting for Sarah to come in. I sit down and he goes, how are you? And I say, I'm a little nervous. And he goes, I'm a little nervous too. And from that moment, I was like, there's no fucking way. Oh my gosh, I I didn't know that. And, and I knew the whole time. Like I, I. Did you have any other physical symptoms? No, nothing. You lost quite a bit of weight. Yeah, but no one, I spoke to three oncologists, two breast surgeons and a plastic surgeon at this point. And every (laughs) single doctor has told me that it was because of breastfeeding and not the cancer, although it is suspiciously timed. Um, Right. But, but I, I was like, I just knew, I knew in my body, I I just knew. I could never feel the lump. Even my oncologist couldn't feel the lump. Um, But I just knew. And so. I think when you find, when something's in your body, that's not meant to, even if you can't feel it, you just know. Yeah. Yeah. And I was actually, it's so interesting because in December, not in December, in June, when my, I'm sorry, in July, when I was back home after my mom died, I was like, I'm, I think there's something going on and I want to get my breast checked. I went to get my breast checked in Canada twice, like, which is more than I've ever, you know, done that. I've never really been as afraid as I had the six to eight months prior to getting diagnosed. So I know, I mean, I knew something was up, so whatever. So we sit down and he goes, right now, what we know is that it's, grade three, which my mind read as stage three, uh, grade three it's is like same. aggressive. No. So staging has to do with how far the cancer spread in your body and grading has to do with how aggressive the cells are, i.e. how fast dividing and how fast they're growing. So stage zero, which is what my sister had, it's still in the duct. Like it hasn't left the really small area that it's in and it's under like, um, one centimeter, one 
yeah, it's only one centimeter and it hasn't left this like very small area. Um, and stage one, which is what I ended up having, which is still lucky, it's still an early stage, is it's over one centimeter under two centimeters and it hasn't left the area of the breast. So there was no lymph node involved. Right. Um, but grade three is means it's very aggressive. It, it, it grows quickly, which is very typical with the type of cancer I had, which is triple negative, which is the worst cancer you could possibly have. Of all the various breast cancers, this one is the worst. If you were going to choose them on a menu, do not choose this one. You why, know what I mean? Why is that? Because of how aggressive these cells are? No, because of how few options there are to treat it and how likely it is to come back as a different, as a secondary cancer. So with, you know, everyone's like breast cancer is the best cancer you can have. Like the survival rates are so high. And I'm like, yeah, if you have a good breast cancer, which I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what is triple negative? Like, can you explain yeah, that? So there's many different, there's three, three, three types of breast cancer. There's hormone positive. So progesterone receptor, estrogen receptor positive cancers. And those mean that the cancer binds to one of those hormone receptors in your body. Okay. No cancer is good. I'm not, you know, and, and, and it'll all depend <laughs> on the staging. Like a stage four cancer is always going to be worse than the stage one cancer. But in terms of breast cancer subtypes, this is the order you want them in. You know, if you're going to make a wish list, do it in this order. Um, <laughs> hormone receptor positive <laughs> cancers are the best because one, they're typically slow growing and they um, are really treatable with drugs. So you have your chemos, you have your radiations, and then you have your drugs that you can take once the active treatment is done. And that includes drugs like tamoxifen, which turn off those receptors and make it so that cancer probably won't come back. The next type of cancer is hormone receptor negative, but, um, I mean, it's also like the, the amount of information you're hitting. Well, now with. my brain is broken because I forget what this one is called. Oh, Herceptin. Um, Herceptin positive. And, no, Herceptin is what you take. So it's an H something receptor. Anyways, just tell. Just tell. It's a, it's a hormone negative, but it's uh, something positive And you take Herceptin, which is, a, which is my, what my dad thinks my mom had. Oh, my, when my mom had cancer, she was 38. She also just had a baby. But when she died, my dad threw out all of her cancer stuff, which was super helpful for me when I was like, Hey dad, what type of cancer did mom have? And he was like, mom, no. And I was like, Hey dad, um, what type of treatment schedule did mom have? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, were you not around? Did you not, were you not there? And he was like, yeah, but I just don't know. I don't remember anything. And I was like, I'm so glad you threw out all of this really useful stuff. Um, but my dad thinks my mom had this type of cancer where H2, her two, her two positive cancer. Um, which again, is a little bit faster acting, a little bit harder to treat, but you also, you have a new drug which came out in 1998, 1999, around the time my mom was diagnosed, mm-hmm. called Septin, which does the same thing. It binds to that receptor and makes it harder for that cancer to come back. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, like different keys for different locks, right? So if, you're, if your lock is a hormone receptor, you have a key that will open and close that. If, you're, if your lock is a HER2 receptor positive cancer, you have a key that will lock and unlock that. Right. Which negative, which is what I have and what your mom had, what Nancy had, there's nothing to make sure it doesn't come back because there's no receptor that we can target to fix it. There's no key to put in that lock because the lock doesn't exist. The limit doesn't exist. 
It just isn't there. The limit doesn't exist. The limit doesn't exist. We'll take the Sorry, if anyone, <laughs> if anyone knows that reference, we salute you. Um, so it's not, you know, it's, it's very hard to treat and it's very aggressive as a cancer. It usually presents as a stage, as a grade three cancer, very fast moving. For right. example, you didn't see the tumor at all in January and by October it was 1.4 centimeters. Yeah. And I think that was similar to my mom, but yeah. Yeah. So, and because of there's nothing you can do to like actively treat it once it's like, you know, once you've treated, unless you have like a complete response to the chemo, a lot of people who don't have that have secondary cancers where it comes back, not in the breast, like the other two cancers are more prone to do, but in other parts of the body, like your brain or your liver or your bones. But if you had a total response to chemo, then like that goes down significantly. Exactly. So if you yeah. don't have a total response to the chemo, your survival rate is around 60% over five years. Right. If you do, it's much higher because it's less likely it's lurking in your body and going to come back in your brain as like a fun surprise. So in that first meeting, so in the, the meeting that you had where your doctor said, like, I'm a little nervous too. Um, which is heartbreaking, actually. I didn't know that that little tidbit of information. Yeah. I think, what? How, how did you process that? I sent everyone in my, in, literally again, everyone who's like lucky enough to be um, in my WhatsApp group messaging list got a very wonderful midday message of, I have grade three cancer and I'm dying. I'm going to die. And um, obviously, like me, who heard grade three and thought stage three, all of my friends heard grade three thought stage three and thought right. I was like actively dying because um, stage yeah. three cancer is hard. Yeah. Um, luckily that wasn't the case, but I kind of, I had a, uh, I don't say I processed it well. It wasn't a, uh, this wasn't like a, did you process it well or badly? I just mean like, what was, how did well, I guess I how did you cope? knew I had the cancer? Like that wasn't the question. I coped badly. I, but I also coped exactly how you would assume I would cope. So what I did was I read the literature. I read every single journal article I could find, where there's a lot, about survival rates, um, treatment plans, yeah. drugs, like trial drugs, um, li- literally everything. I think I spent three weeks just every day for like six hours a day reading articles finding trials, finding, you know, um, answers to like these random questions I had, um, while still messaging everyone on my message list. I think I'm probably going to (laughs) die. And anytime anyone would say, how are you doing? I would just write dying. Thanks. How are you? (laughs) It was, it was a really good time. It was a great time to be my friend. And I had a list of like probably 50 or 60 questions at the end of it. Um, and my breast surgeon got me in uh, a meeting with a plastic surgeon and my oncologist. So the plastic surgeon, I saw the day I was diagnosed. So I left my breast surgeon's office and walked immediately to the plastic surgeon's office. When I tell you that this man is the most sexist, vile person I've ever met, it's probably an exaggeration. Don't listen to me. But he's, it's in the spectrum of like, he was awful. Me and Donna, my best, one of my best friends, went into this meeting and he takes one look at me and he goes, uh, you know, like taking my history down, he goes, are any, any like health issues? And I'm like, yeah, I, I have cancer. Thank you. And he was like, except for that, obviously. And he goes through the whole list. Again, I was diagnosed an hour previously. 
and he so goes take off really great bedside manner go take off all your clothes stand behind the curtain like let me see what we're working with well he had to he had to see my my breasts because eventually like he's the plastic surgeon who was going to do my double mastectomy he goes all right well good news is you have the ideal female form, which I've been dining out on since then. <laughs> that, that sentence. <laughs> you have the ideal female form. The bad news is you're an incredibly bad candidate for this surgery. It's never going to look good. Okay, thanks. Oh, is that the doctor that told you it was never going to look All good? All doctors have told me, but oh. he was the first. Um, and I was like, okay, thanks so much. Um, and at this point, like, I was so shocked and still so much in, like, flight or flight mode that I wasn't able to process anything he was saying. So the only thing I took from that meeting is that I have the ideal female form. So <laughs> your dark night of the mind went like the opposite yeah, direction in this exactly, situation. Exactly. And my sister, her plastic surgeon had said, oh, they actually look pretty nice. And so I sent to her message that just said, ooh, I don't know. I'm not an expert, but an ideal female form does sound better than pretty nice. <laughs> oh, Kayla. <laughs> And I mean, she's my sister's a saint. We love her. Um, I think the interesting part, I mean, I think we could probably do an entire episode on just even having been here for a couple of weeks and seeing, you know, just the amount that you go into the doctor, how many different doctors you see, how, you know, nurses and different doctors, how everyone sort of, you really have to figure out who to trust and yes. who you want to work with because there's so much sort of different information flying around. But I think, you know, I, I it's funny because I'm I'm asking probing questions and I feel like I know the answer somewhat. But I think what you did um, with, you know, reading and spending six hours a day reading all of the literature, as we call it, um, is like so fucking amazing. And like, I don't want to get emotional. I feel like I'm going to get emotional about it. But it's like a really like you advocated so hard for, hard yourself. for yourself. Yeah. And it was, and you always dumb it down, but I don't know that that's how I would have coped. And that is such a useful way of coping. Like I, I just thought it was amazing. Like I ended up flying over here, you know, this is slightly tangential, but flew over here because I was luckily actually in Europe. So when you found, when I found out that you had been diagnosed, I, I came here and like, you were just, on a mission to make sure that you were working with the right surgeons, the right, um, I was going to say surgeons again, the, just the right, Apologist team, and the right team that you wanted to have you, around you. I mean, you have to, because at the end of the day, in general, like I'm like, I'm lucky I'm a white woman at least, but like women yeah. are so dismissed by doctors and women's pain is like and you're on the private people. system. You're not um, even in the public yeah. system. Dude, the NHS tried to freaking kill me. I realize that it's underfunding issue and it's not them, but like the, the I called them the day I was diagnosed and I was like, "Listen, you wouldn't give me an MRI and I've just been diagnosed with cancer and guess what they're giving me tomorrow? A fucking MRI." Like it's a joke. And I get yeah. it. It's just the problems with the NHS are government issues. It's not the NHS, but like the fact that they wouldn't give me an MRI until it was, I was already diagnosed with cancer is like ridiculous. And luckily through work, I have private healthcare that I could use. Like I'm very lucky and still mm -hmm. like there hasn't been a moment in this entire journey where I haven't had to advocate for myself or like really fight. And I'm used to doing that in doctors. Like I don't 
I don't leave a doctor's office until they've heard every single one of my issues and taken them seriously. And I yeah. research what I need before every doctor's appointment to make sure I come away with what I, what I want from it. Yeah. I think that's been like, I mean, other than the fact that, you know, you being diagnosed with cancer, that was a bit of a bummer. Um, but I think that's been one of the saddest things is like seeing not, not just that it's not sad that you, you were advocating for yourself. The sad part to me is that you really had to like, she, you were like on people's dicks in, you know, my mom had to go when she found her lump, she had to go to another city to get diagnosed because it was going to take too long in Ottawa to go through the system. Like she literally picked up her medical records and went elsewhere. And like, good for her. You have to like, and I I mean, again, there's obviously a baseline, like how lucky are we and privileged are we that we can do that, that we could like, you know, your mom could go to a different city that I can get this private healthcare. Like obviously, but like you have to, I I learned, I mean, I've learned, I've known that my whole life because the first time I went to the doctor in this country, I had such bad pain in my ovaries that I couldn't go to work. And I went to the uh, the doctor and he was like, yeah, women have pain. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And he was like, yeah, no, women have pain. And I said, that's really, really great. If I was a man and I came in here and I told you that I was in so much pain that I couldn't go into the office, what would your response be? And he was like, I don't know, you're not a man. And I was like, great, let's pretend I am. And I'm telling you, I am in so much pain. I cannot go to work. What do you say? And I didn't leave the office until I got a scan. And it turned out I had a massive fucking cyst on my ovaries. Huge. And... Like, you know, it's just, if you don't think that you've gotten the care you, you need, don't leave. But I will, yeah. I, when I was in the UK, and this is before my mom found out she was, uh, had breast cancer, I found a lump in my breast and it was tied as well with, um, I had some TMI discharge from just one breast, not from both. And so I had just gotten my doctor... And I went in, they got me in like same day, a week later I had a, and this is all NHS, this wasn't private. They had, a week later I went to the hospital, saw a breast con- con- consultant, which I love that that's a title for someone's job. And then immediately got an ultrasound and then got sent back and told my results same day. So that's I had an amazing experience. But then come here a few months ago, again, after my mom, I found a lump again. And so I went to my doctor and had to ask. And she was like, you're fine. Like, it's not anything. And I was like, well, my mom's just had this. So like, I would feel way better if like, we could do this, please. Cause like, I'm not going to sleep for until I know. And up until like, like you talk about your medical anxiety up until figuring all this out, you're like, well, what happens if I do have this? And you're you're playing through the implications of all of this in your head. And it's like, it's not just finding out whether I have cancer or not. It's not just finding out whether, you know, something's broken or whatever. This is going to affect the trajectory of my life, especially as a young woman. So like, we're doing this. Yeah. But also like, you shouldn't, I mean, I'm so happy that your experience in the UK was great. I've had really good experiences, but like, usually I yeah. go through best. Like, I don't, you know, usually go through private. Um I've had really great experiences here. I've also had really, I mean, as anyone, you have good and bad experiences. I think the issue is that if the caveat. you haven't gotten the care you need. 1000%. You have to have, like, it's sad that you even have to be like, dude, give me the scan. I want the scan. Like if you've asked for it, you should be able to receive it if it's within the bounds of, you know, a reasonable request. And that is. 
Can I ask like, Kale, would you have any advice for people? Okay. God forbid someone listening to this was diagnosed with, with breast cancer in, in the near whatever, God forbid that happens. What would your recommendation be when it comes to deciding the team that you work with? Yeah. Um, I think find an oncologist that you respect and that you trust. Like what your oncologist, my oncologist is like a background actor in my life. I talk to her very little. I see her very little, but she knows and is on top of every single decision made in my care, if that makes sense. And if Mm -hmm. I didn't trust her, I would feel so anxious at every step of the journey. Like part of the research for me revealed this like new drug that has just been okayed for triple negative patients. Um, It has just been taken out of clinical trials and just put into the NHS. Um, It is called pembrolizumab. It's a, well, Keytruda, I think is the brand name, but it's um, the trials were only done for people who had stage two cancer or lymph node involvement. And I went to town with my oncologist. We spent an hour and a half over three separate days, like an hour and a half, three separate times. Yeah. Talking about how I wanted to be on this drug. And she kept saying, I can't give it to you. You don't meet the requirements for it. And I said, well, we don't know that. You think I don't have lymph node involvement, but I might. And when you have a headache, you don't wait until your headache's worse to take drugs. You take them earlier and it's more impactful. I don't want to die. I have a one-year-old give me these drugs. And it took me, it took her three days to convince me that I didn't need them. How did she And ultimately... that she couldn't give them to me. I mean, it's not that I didn't need them. Like I couldn't get them. Did she ultimately convince you that you didn't need them? She's very British and very, okay. If you're, if you've ever spoken to a Brit, you'll know how intense this is, but think about this like very proper British lady. She ended up saying, if I, if I prescribed this drug to you and you ended up with a terrible result, I would slit my fucking wrists. And I was like, I broke oh a British woman. I broke the Brit. I broke the Brit. <laughs> the British have fallen. The British have fallen. <laughs> I was like, all right, I trust you. But I also think um, she, I really appreciated the conviction she had. Yeah. And she was like, I know I am right here. I know more than you. I am so, there's no amount of anything you can throw my way that will change my opinion because I am strong in my in my yeah. knowledge. And actually, I remember you saying, because you were speaking to a few different oncologists and there was I spoke one. To six. Okay, six. <laughs> um, again, like fucking bad. Mama went shopping. <laughs> <laughs> but you're fucking badass. Like, yeah, I remember because I basically, sorry, I rock up to these tech after getting these text messages. I can't really get a word in edgewise with Kale. Like, I was like, how's it going? And th- there was just a litany of like, everything's horrible. I'm dying, like all of this stuff. So I didn't really know what I was, what I was getting myself into. And I, I remember, and I don't even know if you would remember this, but like when I arrived in November, after she just got the diagnosis, I walked in the door, she was reading the literature on her phone and you handed me the baby who I had never (laughs) met. Well, I'd met her when she was like two weeks old. Yeah. Um, she didn't know who I was. Lila was lovely. She just sat with me for a while. But for two hours, we just sat next to each other on the couch and you read the the literature. And I was like, I'd like to know what's going on. And you were like, I'll tell you in a little bit. Um, And it ended up, yeah, you were talking to lots of different oncologists, but which is obviously, which is great. But there was one who you were like, he seems 
really smart. He was like really well renowned. Yes, Peter. He's the uh, he's the guy who did the trial. He wrote the study on the drug. Yes, that was all. But you were like, you know what? I don't think this is the right fit for me because he's very much like here are the options. Yes, yeah, which so- option works for you? And you wanted someone to say this is the right option. Yes and no. Yes. So pretty much Peter, whose name I don't remember, but he is so hot. He is the <laughs> the triple negative guy. Like if you have triple negative cancer and you get to see Peter, you are great. Good for you. Like he is so well known in breast cancer circles that my friend's brother, who is an oncologist, when I told him I had a meeting with Peter, he was like, no, P- Peter? Like he's like a fucking... He's like Thor. He's like Thor to He's a doctor influencer. Yeah, he really is. So I had a meeting with Peter and we played this fun like academic game where I was like, but here's what this says. What about we try this? What about we do this? He's like, interesting. I've had these conversations with my colleagues this week. And I was like, yes, I'm an oncologist. It's not that hard. Like, (laughs) Did you actually say that to him? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say no, but like, I honestly don't remember anything in that time. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And he was like, well, you know, as an idea, we could do this. We could try this. And I was like, you know what? It's not knowing who I am, having an oncologist who would like engage in fun little academic discussions would make me more stressed. Yeah. No, that's, that's fair. I need someone to be like. You need the authority. Yeah. And it's also like, why are you making my care? Like you should never put life or death decisions into the, that, that aren't, that you know, our oncological in nature in our medical, like in nature that you need knowledge in medical knowledge about into the hands of someone who is not in their best decision-making abilities because they're currently processing a diagnosis. Right. So like what, you know, when Susie was like, no, and there's nothing you can say to change my mind, this is the right call. And I stand by it. I was like, you know what you're doing. You're incredibly smart. I trust you. And you know, I think you'd be a good person for me to like work with because you'll be able to say, I hear you, but no, when I need it. And she has like, I do not make her life easy at all. Um, so I'm very, very happy with her. Um, with the plastic surgeon, I was like, he is a full, full sexist. Like anytime I said something that went against what he wanted or what he thought he would just flat out ignore me and keep talking. And I was like, okay, interesting choices. Um, and so I spoke to Susie, my oncologist, and she was like, I'd recommend, you know, this plastic surgeon, saw him, immediately loved him. He sat with me for three and a half hours and went through my list of 60 questions and also said I was an incredibly bad candidate for the surgery. <laughs> <laughs> um, and got you know, got a really good team around me, had to find a new breast surgeon, found a new plastic surgeon. I'm very happy with my team. But I think to answer your question, I think finding an oncologist specifically that you trust and that you will listen to, and that makes you feel more confident Mm. in what's happening is really great. And then building a team around that, you know, like you're young, like I'm 33 right now. I'm going to have, hopefully have my breasts for a very long time. Like my reconstruction was very important to me. Yeah. Absolutely. We talked a lot about like your diagnosis and like early stages and stuff, but just to kind of go through where you're at now in your treatment plan. So you've had chemo, you've had surgeries. What else is kind of ahead of you or are you done now in terms of your treatment? So I had five months of chemo. 
Okay. Um, 20 rounds of chemo, different types. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. Four rounds of AC chemo, which is like the red devil. So azithromycin yeah. and cyclophosphamide. And so Dr. Rubison and five, uh, 16 rounds of paclitaxel, which was um, taxol and carboplatin. Um, and now I had, I had two surgeries. One, cause I, my breasts were like, I called them empty milk bags. I could do like, I could make like origami with them. I could make like swans. Like they, there was no breast left in my breast, which made, which is why all the plastic surgeons said I was a bad candidate for double mastectomy. Because you just had a baby. Yeah. Well, yes, I was breastfeeding. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was clear the reason why I wasn't upset about it, but like my tits were just like on the floor really saggy, no real shape to them. So the first surgery I did was a, was a, um, reduction in a nipple graft where they made, he said, they're going to make my breasts more implant shaped to help with the eventual implants. And then my second surgery, which I just had two less than two weeks ago was a double mastectomy where they put in some expanders for a reconstruction later. And today in a couple hours, I find out what my next steps are because my biopsy right. results will hopefully be back. So this it will depend on the biopsy results. Yeah. No. I might be dying. I might not be. Well, no, no, it is a big Hold day. It's actually, no, no, this is good. This will build suspense for your listeners. They'll want to tune in. <laughs> I'm helping. Yeah. But we need to give them something later. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to give an update. Do I die? Do I not die? Find out soon. No, that's not what. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That that's how I watch Netflix. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but yes. Yeah, so you you finished the chemo, and like we're at the, you know, we're at the end. Oh, I mean, a lot of the symptoms I've had, like chemo, put me in full blown menopause, and that's not going away anytime soon. I know. Sorry, so I feels- don't mean to say. I don't mean to say that there isn't more to, you know, recover yeah, active treatment from... right now is done, but yes. I might need, right. you know, I might need based on the results. So I don't want to be like, I don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to get too excited or, you know, anything yet. But I also think that like, I was saying to, to anyone who will listen to me really, that I would take chemo for the rest of my life, then be in menopause for one more day. Yes. Yeah. It's literally the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah. We, and we, I, is really, it the hot flashes? It's the fucking hot flashes, Nicole. And Jesus Christ. <laughs> my mom, yeah, we talked to my mom um, a few days ago. Um, and she was, they were, they were chatting menopause. I can't explain to you like. Oh, and they call it the menopause. The menopause. Here. It's the menopause. It's a fucking <laughs> event. Like, I can't. I think every time I have a hot flash, anytime any woman has a hot flash while at work, the government should pay them a thousand pounds immediately on the spot. My mom agreed. Like. I can't explain. Okay. So usually when one goes through menopause, their hormones will have dwindled over time. So it's awful. Right. It's not fun, but it's never like as shocking. When I went through menopause, not only were my hormones at their peak because I had just given birth, but they were just like hip hopping away. And overnight they went from like hero to zero. And these hot flashes, I would spend, I probably had 40 a day and it would, you would go from feeling fine to feeling like you were on the surface of the sun. I couldn't breathe, couldn't do anything. Boiling hot, sweating out of places in your body you didn't even know could sweat. And then all of a sudden you'd be fine. And then you'd be freezing. 
because you were soaked. So for like Nicole's mouth right now, she's just like 40 times a day, I'd go from being boiling hot to freezing cold, no matter what. And it happens. So it's just like you have a bad flu, essentially, like it's feverish. A bad feverish flu that doesn't go away. And Joyful. like my kid at that time was sleeping in bed with me and she would sleep on me. And I literally, my my brother is a, is a whatever the, the generation below us is. And he would say, you almost yeeted her across the room. Like I almost <laughs> did. Like I get so hot. Like throw her off of me. Like I couldn't, my brain wasn't able to process anything other than like, how deeply uncomfortable I was. I would like lie on the floor because it was the coldest place to be. And it's getting a little better now. I'm getting less of them. Yeah. But it's not, they're not great. My temperature is either boiling hot or freezing cold. I don't have a middle ground. It doesn't like regulate. I can't regulate. Yeah. And also like, I mean, that's like an actual lived reality of my menopause daily. But also, I mean, I really want to have a second kid and who knows if I can even do that now. Yeah. So, but those are like longer term implications. So like, yeah, fine. Maybe my active treatment might be done, but I'm going to have to spend my entire life. I'm sure as your mom does going in to get scans, going in to make sure that the cancer hasn't come back, making sure that, you know, my body's healing properly from the chemo, like my liver is still failing, trying to like, see if I can have kids again and waiting to see if that is a okay thing to do with it. You know, I need, I'm in a obviously relationship with another woman. I need progesterone throughout my entire pregnancy. Well, this no. is maybe a, maybe a question you're, and we can cut it out. But when you say have another child, you mean just carry the child? Because you, I believe, because yeah, you're in a relationship with another woman. You used Sarah's eggs last yeah. time, right? So we used Sarah's eggs because um, my eggs are trash. And <laughs> Kayla, well, they are trash. Um, we still have eggs left, embryos left. Sorry, and so okay. yes, ideally. That would, excuse me, be the the route we take. But also, they say that chemo ages your eggs five years. So right now, my eggs technically are like 38. I want to make sure that in a world where I might have to have a kid alone, which I hope doesn't ever happen, but what cancer has taught me to do is be prepared for all scenarios. I want to have that option. So I'm going to do IVF anyway for my own eggs. And who right. knows if that will even work? Because I have to get them. Not only do I need to do IVF and have eggs that are good enough quality that would work, but I need to get them screened for BRCA. So 50% of them, right. I mean, it's a 50 chance, sorry, could have BRCA. And then I can't use them anyway. So there's a lot that, you know, so what my, my point is that while active treatment right now is done, it's not done. there's no life. Yeah. Without cancer, if that makes sense. Like there's yeah. no, the reality for me that isn't in some way influenced by this diagnosis. Wherever I live, wherever I am, I will have to spend not an insignificant amount of time with doctors making sure that you're fine. Not yeah. I'm, um, I'm conscious that like we don't have a lot of time and actually I'm, I want to make sure you get to your appointment on time. Yes. Um, so I just want to finish up. Like, thank you for being so honest uh, about yeah. all of this. I think oh, people are going to like literally be taking notes while they read this. Cause I think that there's so much, even just coming to visit you and, you know, getting you to show me a breast exam and like, how do I properly do it? Like do your, just, breast exam. do your breast exams, everyone. Check those tits. <laughs> Check the tatas. Love them. Um, Check them. I think one thing that would be really good 
to know is just like how people can best support yes. a friend who's going through this. And um, I know that it's, it's really, I mean, it's nowhere near as challenging as going through it yourself, but it can be really hard. No, it is hard to be in a place where you want to make sure that you're being there for them in the right ways. And what does that look like? And do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think again, it's very being how to show up for your friend also depends on who that person yes. is. But I think in general, just being there, like I don't remember when I was in like the, in the thick of my chemo, I was in the hospital literally every week in pain and unable to like exist as a human. It's chemo destroys your body. Um, but I remember the people who reached out. I remember the people who came over with food. I remember the people who, and I'm so lucky that I have such a, like if anything, for all the cancers taken away, it has allowed me to like really appreciate and see what a beautiful community I have here and how incredibly lucky I am. Like not just here, but in Canada, like just how incredibly lucky I am and how surrounded by love I am. And it was, it, it is so overwhelming, but I think the best way to be there is to be there, be present. If you can't be present with, you know, your body. And also when you're in the middle of cancer, you don't want a lot of people around. Um, but like yeah. send messages, let them know you're there, send food, you know, uh, I think the thing is cancer destroys your like key active chemo chemo destroys your ability to like do things. I couldn't stand up for days on end, but yeah, it needed to eat. My wife needed to eat. My wife needed to eat while taking care of me. Right. So people who would send food over and make meals were like so useful. People who checked in on me, people who allowed me the space to like tell them I was dying without being like, that's too much. Don't say that to me. You know, people who just like let me vent when I needed to vent without, without making it about them, you know, was, was so useful. There's no right way to be there for someone, but there is, there is a, a being there versus not being there, you know, yeah. being there is what will be remembered. I don't know what anyone said to me. I, I you know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't matter. No. It mattered that they said something and that they were there and they showed up. It's just like, oh, I, I was not expecting this. <laughs> See, she loves me so much. I made it yeah. work. Ten years and later, I do love you she so She is much. my best friend. It worked. I do love you so much. And it's like... Ask people to be your best friend in a room. <laughs> and what like... is your stance on soup these days? Oh my gosh, it's such a good. This is, is a great so little funny. anecdote, actually. It is true. Like, I don't know why people assume sick people can't like chew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're sick. You're sick. You don't have to chew it. So basically, like, and this is so funny. So when I came in um, in November, I was like making. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a delicious hearty soup. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it was November and not like the middle of the summer yeah, or anything. Cool. Yeah, but it was funny because I, I forget what your mom said, but she, Nancy, said something along the lines of like, "And why does everyone think that you want soup all the time?" And I was literally <laughs> in your kitchen making you making soup, soup. <laughs> and it was just the most comical of time of timing. Like I, I, I think that the reason I'm getting up emotional is like when I've come, it's hard to not be with you when you're going through this, but it's, it's more, yes, it, is, with me. it is because I love you, but it's more just like seeing your community come together it's has me. been like, just truly like, man, like, it's just like beautiful to watch. Like 
they have like literally a schedule of people and not because they wouldn't want to come over, but they've like organized so much of their lives around making sure that you and your family are like well-fed and have people coming over to visit. And it's just like a very special thing. And I know that this has been a really hard time for you and like a really fucking rough few years, but if there's anything like wonderful about it, it, it shows yeah, definitely. how many people love you and your daughter and your wife. Yeah. I mean, I say it all the time. Like before my mom died, I had like, I had a really rough pregnancy. It was on bed rest for six months. Like things weren't, were, things were bad. And then things just progressively got worse over the next two years. So like I've really over indexed on friendship <laughs> for the last two years. Like I've, I've crammed like a lifetime's worth of friendship issues in the, into two years. So having my community like consistently and like without, without even like thinking about it show up for me so incredibly is, is, is genuinely so special and so amazing. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I will never not feel lucky about that. And I will never, ever like take that for granted. Um, and it's made, you know, it really is like, I don't want to say a silver lining. Cause I, you know, people are like, did you learn anything from the cancer? Yeah. Like cancer sucks. <laughs> but I've, 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 I feel like loved and supported in a way that I don't know if many people ever get to feel and ever should have to feel, <laughs> but um, it is, it is really special and it's so nice. And like my, my friends call Lila our community baby because she's being really our full community. Yeah. And I mean, like, that kid is perfect in and of itself, but she is so well-adjusted and is so open. Like, she doesn't know me very well, but over the last few days has gotten, like, so comfortable around me. She gives me hugs and kisses. Like, I think having so many people around her that love her parents and love her, it's like she's learned how to sort of – I don't know. I, I – that could be a silver lining. Like not, I know a lot of people talk about having babies in COVID and them not being exposed to a lot of other people. And she's kind of the opposite of that. Like she's been so exposed to all of these people who love her Mm -hmm. an unreasonable amount. Um, And that, that is quite special. It is. No, it is. And like, I'll, I don't know how someone would do this without the support that I've like, I'm so lucky not only to have had access to the healthcare I've had and access, you know, to like be able to choose an oncologist and stuff, but also to have the community I have, like you come home from chemo and you physically, like the thought of having to do anything was like lifting my hand took all the, the, yeah the power I had in my body. You know what I mean? Right. The fact that I didn't have to wonder and, and be afraid that my kid wasn't going to eat dinner that night or that my kid wasn't going to be able to be put to sleep that night or that someone wouldn't read to my child that night yeah. and make sure that they were, you know, she was being parented in the way that I would want to parent her, which obviously she had another parent around, but like I spent weeks unable to do much. Yeah. It was a- that like I knew that someone would always be there to help Sarah to help raise my kid and it was it was amazing okay you really have to go to your appointment now yeah I know but you're going but I like the pod (laughs) I know the pod's great we'll welcome you back once you get um your complete response yeah I'm not jinxing it I'm just putting it out in the universe (laughs) 
Well, the pod people will want to know. They care now. We'll give them the update. Kayla literally asked me before we went on, what's going to happen when your ratings soar and you have the highest listener count ever? You're going to have to just have me on all the time. Well, you know what? Great problem to have. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I didn't say it like that. (laughs) We love you so much. We We love love you, you, yeah. Okay, go to your appointment. (laughs) Okay, okay. Goodbye.